Local and national sports talk that's fresh, in season, and FDA approved. If it's hot, you'll find it cooking with Jeff, Jay, and Kelly. Mmm, delicious. They don't just stir the pot. They add more flavor than the other guys. Yum, yum, yum. Get ready to dig in and taste some sports skillet. You know what I'm tasting? No, I taste victory. Right now. Welcome to the Sports Skillet live stream. We go live every Friday afternoon here on YouTube. Reminder, you can also catch us on ESPN 920 and also on SportsKillerRadio.com. We are also now on Spotify and Anchor.fm as well. So if you want to leave us a voice message, comment on the show, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see, go to Anchor.fm, look for SportsKiller, leave us a voice message. We will respond to it. Also check us out, like I said, on Spotify. Just do a search for SportsKiller. And as always, like, follow, share, and subscribe. We want you to join us each and every week. Find out what's going on with Sports Skillet and check out our website, sportskillerradio.com, where you can go, you can download our app, get great articles by Joe Ippolito and Mike Nebbia as well. And join us. Like I said, we have a fun time each and every week. This week we have a special guest with us, and we're thrilled to have her with us. We have Jen Cobb with us. Jen is awesome. She was a former Rams cheerleader. She now has her own nonprofit. Jen, welcome to the show. And can you tell everybody out there how they can find you on social media and your website? Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is the J Tribe. We it got is. John, we are now J, Joe, Jeff, Jen, and then we have Mike. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah I'm, I'm excited to be here you guys are a blast so far i got to know you and that uh just for, for everyone to know that mike um mike has a great shirt but jeff's shirt can we pan can everybody see what jeff's shirt looks like i want that shirt in an extra small maybe we can work on getting you for you jen maybe we can work oh. on getting you getting you that yeah shirt. yeah so i am on facebook i'm on instagram i'm on uh, LinkedIn, gosh, what do we have? Uh, Snapchat, <laughs> just Jennifer Cobb, uh, Team Gateway to a Cure dot org, um, www. Team Gateway to a Cure dot org. Uh, yeah, my charity, the foundation, is four years old. I'm really proud of it. My um, my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, back in '99, right around the same time Michael J. Fox went public with his disease and um you know just it broke my heart to see my dad um struggle with this degenerative um disease of parkinson's and as an adult child uh caring and loving for my dad as a caregiver um i wanted to not only uh, educate myself more on the disease but i wanted to help others that might be in the same um position as i am as a caregiver and how to be the best caregiver possible going through it with him. And so my platform is coming off the NFL field as a um, Super Bowl NFL cheerleader. And I wanted to use that platform. I know this might sound a little cliche, but to cheer on other caregivers, to give them hope and comfort while they go through uh, loving their uh, loved one um, battle the disease of Parkinson's as well as other brain diseases such as Alzheimer's 
ALS, MS, concussions, Lewy body, dementia, just all of the brain diseases um, that that many millions of people all over the world that are that are struggling and battling. Gotcha. Jeff, you had a couple of questions for Jen. Yeah, uh, so I'll just uh, go right into it. I'm going to go right to the meat of it. Um, so how has the current pandemic uh, affected the fundraising and the awareness that Team Get, uh, Gateway has been doing this year? I'm assuming it's probably a major impact or has this actually helped bring people more aware because now we're dealing with a disease going across the country. Is, uh, how is this affecting that? Yeah, you know, that is uh, an incredible question, Jeff. And I, the reason I'm so, so happy you asked me that was every one of us, along with millions of others all over the country, have gotten just a little taste of how quiet and deafening quiet the life of a caregiver is like. Mm -hmm. Meaning that that's how their life is every single day. It's very quiet. There's nobody knocking on the door, bell, door ringing their doorbell, making phone calls, coming over to see them their loved ones. And so you can only imagine how quiet and lonely that day-to-day -day life is like for them, especially if you're a, a low-income senior and you don't have a lot of traffic coming in and out of the home. And so, you know, the anxiety levels go up, the depression levels go up. And so now insurance companies are recognizing the caregiver as the second patient. And so when they tuck their loved one in bed and kiss their forehead and make sure their bellies are full of food and their medicine's taken and they go and take them to and from their doctor visits, you know, at the end of the day, where's their support? Where do they get their um, right. support emotionally, physically, um, you know, and so, and financially too. Um, and, and they're not the ones battling the disease. They're the ones that are taking care, giving them hope, comfort, and making sure that all of those boxes are checked off. And then they tuck themselves into bed and then do it again the very next day. And so I think when we all take a step back and we kind of look at, wow, it is a very lonely, quiet, um, exhausting emotionally and physically task that these caregivers are taking on every day. And so as a caregiver, when you are in that position, where do you go and ask for help? And how do you ask for help? And, and, and how do you take yourself out of the ego spectrum, thinking that you are going to be the, the hero you're going to rescue that person going through the disease of Parkinson's or whatever, Alzheimer's, dementia, and look at the other care in the family and ask for help and what that looks like. And so Team Gateway to a Cure, we want to educate the caregivers, the ones that are caring for the loved one and what that care help looks like. Awesome. Yeah, because they are the backbone. Um, I mean, they're not, they're all going through the disease also because they're seeing the outside effects compared to the person yes. actually going through it. And, yep. you know, that to me, that's more impactful mentally 
because they know at the end of the day, they're still going to be there and they have to deal with this. And, and it's, it's hard. And because of that, because a team getaway uh, does that, does it make their jobs harder? And if, if it does, uh, what can we do outside of donations to actually help? Is, is there anything that we can do outside of that for the caregivers themselves? Yeah. So, um, the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center is um, great. I have um, uh, partnered up with them. And Mohammed's legacy really strictly focuses on um, uh, what the caregiver's role is and how to really support them in their efforts daily. And so many times they're in a Spot in a position where they don't know what to do because there's so much emotional history with their loved one. You know, my mom looks at my dad and says, all right, Jen, we're going to hire a personal trainer. She's coming to the house every day. She's going to work with dad two hours a day. And this is going to help him with his Parkinson's. I promise you. And he's going to double smoothie it every day for, he's going to have two smoothies a day. He's going to work out two hours a day. And I promise you that this is what's going to fix the Parkinson's. It's like, all right. Okay. So I, dad, is that what you want to do? And he said, absolutely not. It's not going to change the disease. Is it really going to get him back to when he was 30, 40? Is he going to feel better? No. You know what Ty wants to do? My dad's name is Ty, Ty Cobb. Same as the baseball player. Ty just wants to chill. He wants to have dudes that are around him talking dude stuff. He wants to do some puzzles. He wants to cook. He wants to go see a movie. He just wants to chill. And, you know, sometimes just enjoying and giving hope and comfort to the one that you are loving means more than trying to dive in there and try to rescue them and try to be God Jr. and think that by doing all of these things, it's going to change the trajectory of the disease. The disease is going to take my dad out. But I, as a daughter, loving my dad, what I need to do, what my role is, is just to love him. And just to make sure that he knows that. And just that little time that we have together means more than trying to hire a trainer and a nutritionist to come in and change everything and take all of these pills and, and, and smoothies. And, you know, if he wants eggs and bacon, let him eat the eggs and bacon and let him just enjoy the ride and make him comfortable as possible. He wants to feel normal. And I get that. You know, he just wants anybody. to be Thai. He exactly. just wants to be yeah. Thai. And you know what Thai loves? Thai loves cooking. Maybe he can't cut. Maybe he can't, you know, dice thing anymore. Maybe he just wants to sit in the chair at the table and watch you prepare a meal and yeah. just communicate and talk and engage and really be present in him while he goes through this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Jen, you were a former chiller. Do you still follow the NFL? Yes, I do. And I'm very, very angry at Cronky. He took our team away. (laughs) So I'm very, I'm having an emotional reaction right now, guys. I'm very sad, angry, (laughs) just pissed off. (laughs) Well, there's a good show to express that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I still love football, you know? I mean, any way you look at it, I just love the game. I love watching it. 
I love, um, you know, cheering on, uh, you know, the, the, the fellows. And I love seeing the tenacity in the players and how they hustle on the field. And, and it's just, it's just a, lot of, a lot of fun. And I'm really excited about this season, whether it's from afar or whether it's, you know, on the sidelines, wherever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watching some football again. Absolutely. So are we. Now, do you think there should be fans in the stadium or no? Yes. I think if we have precautions and everybody stays the distance, we're masked and we stay distant. I mean, I don't know how much more. If we're doing our own due diligence and what we're supposed to do, I think we're safe. You know, there's so much energy that comes from the fans. You know, the players... We as cheerleaders, we feed off of that. And it makes for just, I mean, that's what dopamine, which is deficient in the Parkinson's disease, that's what feeds all of us. We crave that dopamine. So um, whether it's from afar, you know, watching on TV or whether it's in the, in the stands, I do know the first couple of games are going to be, um, there's going to be no fan involvement at the stadium, so... Gotcha. And what was your experience like as a cheerleader? Um, any negative or positive experiences that you'd like to uh, recount for us? No, I've, I've had a great, great time. The whole, the whole uh, experience from, from the very beginning to the, to the end, it was just amazing. You know, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, Jen, you didn't get paid much. No, you really don't. And we didn't get paid like the players. Of course, I get that. But you don't do it for the money. I mean, there's so much more that you get that's, that's, that you can't bank on. And that's called network and friendships and loyalty. And I can call, pick people, I can pick the phone up and I can call a player, I can call a cheerleader, I can call, you know, a coach and, and the relationships that I've gotten along the way. And, and it's just a family unit that you can't put into words and what value that means. In fact, my foundation today would not be where it's at if it wasn't for that loyalty and, and relationship with the NFL. And they have been nothing but supportive. And it's just been incredible. Now, we're here in the New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area, Jen. How can we go about supporting your organization? You can go on my website, uh, www.teamgatewaytoacure.org. My website okay. is... Um, um, in the middle of uh, being re, um, just redone. So be patient on some of the information. Um, but yeah, um, you could get more involved, um, you know, being a volunteer, uh, involving yourself more in uh, how to be a better caregiver. Um, you know, a story I always enjoy talking about is, um, you know, my dad gets done uh, working out when he used to work out at the YMCA uh, after he took a shower and he'd go over to uh, grab his workout bag and he'd walk over to the coffee station and grab his coffee and maybe a donut or two. <laughs> and then he'd go over to that table, that round table where all the fellas are sitting. And he'd just sit there for about an hour and just chit chat, dude talk with all the guys. And, you know, you know what they're talking about? They're, they're dude talking about how they get through their day. And oftentimes my dad would listen to their stories um, and how they managed through their day 
and the troubles, the ups and downs, a lot of times more than what the doctor's advice would be. And not that the doctor advice is not important, it's very important. But there's a commonality that goes along with um, what the next guy that's going through the exact same thing, they get each other. There's a language there. They understand each other and there's no judgment. And they're, um, you know, sometimes that's really great medicine advice, medical advice coming from a, you know, a, a guy that's going through the exact same thing. Excellent. Uh, so Jen, what advice would you, if there's a caregiver out there that's listening, uh, maybe struggling a little bit, what advice would you give that caregiver? Um, the biggest uh, piece of advice that I would give is to reach out to caregiver support. You know, okay. as I said earlier, that caregivers are now recognized as from the insurance company standpoint as a second patient. And so the uh, support groups are now going, being put in. Uh, YMCAs are great. They have support groups. Uh, hospitals are now having support groups. The great thing about the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center that is attached to the, neuro, the Burroughs Neurological Institute is that we have funding now that we are putting a caregiver advocacy volunteer program in. And what that means is we are now educating the caregivers on how to be the best caregiver in their own home. Because most even now with the whole COVID thing, uh, loved ones want to be at home. They want to see yep. their loved ones, want to smell the, the smells of their home. They want to hear the sounds of their loved ones. They want to visually see the pictures on the walls. And they are comfortable in that environment. And so how do we equip and educate the caregiver? We're now bringing virtual education to them. We are now offering education to how better educate those caregivers so there's not those falls in the home so they know how to reach out for help i have groceries i have to go buy i need food i need i need uh, help uh, making a meal i need uh, medicine brought to me i need the therapist to come here because i have things i have to do outside the home because my family isn't available to help help care or family members come in the home and we educate them on how to be the best caregiver, to give respite care to the others that are involved. So it's really, really important, especially when you're emotionally invested historically, when you have a lot of his history, emotion, love connected, you just want to save them. And oftentimes we are so quick to put them in a hospital or so quick to put them in a nursing home because we just don't know what to do because we don't have the confidence or the self well assurance in ourselves on how to make good judgment calls. Yep, definitely. So Jen, uh, once again, can you let everybody know how they can find you on your social media and website? Yeah, so you can go to www.teamgatewaytoacure.org and you can, you know, leave me an email or answer a question. I'll, you know, I answer everything. I can reach back to you. Um, I'm also on Instagram, uh, Team Gateway to a Cure, um, Jen, J-E-N-I Cobb, or um, you can reach me on Facebook, Jennifer Cobb, Team Gateway to a Cure. Um, so, you know, LinkedIn, Jennifer Cobb, Team Gateway to a Cure. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, so I'm hurt to make a Kim Possible reference right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just I'm I'm so I'm so excited about this uh, caregiver advocacy program that I'm working so uh, diligently with the Muhammad Ali Parkinson Center. Um, you know, the champ. I was so lucky and honored, you guys, to have met Lonnie Ali, uh, Muhammad's widow, and she was so amazing to teach me a lot that of what Mohammed's legacy was all about. Before he passed away, he really wanted all, everybody to know that he stood for the caregivers. You know, the, the ones, the cheerleaders behind the scenes, the coaches, the ones that are kissing the foreheads, the patting them on the back, and making sure that they're there, that they get their medicine, they get their, their, their uh, physical therapy. That, you know, you, you oftentimes don't recognize the importance of the caregiver. You know, we have all been, we all are a caregiver in our own right to some capacity. Whether you're a, you're, you're a grandparent caring for grandkids, you're a single mom caring for your children, or you are a sibling, an older sibling caring for younger siblings, or you could be multi-caregiver where you're a single mother who's caring for kids, who's also an adult child caring for her father who might be battling caring for herself of breast cancer. And so, you know, it's really important that we understand the education on how to reach out for help because the last thing the caregiver wants and needs and needs to do is to be depressed, depressed, have anxiety and have a moment where they just hit the wall and they feel lost. You don't yep. have to be lost. Uh, one so, one yeah. question I have for you, Jen, is uh, you met Michael J. Fox. I think you may have worked with his organization as well. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. What was that experience like, meeting Michael J. Fox, one of my favorite actors of all time? Yeah, you know, he's a, such an a, a amazing individual in so many different capacities. And so um, I had just the most amazing time of my life raising money for him and his foundation, uh, Team Fox. And every year he honors me at the VIP awards in New York City for my efforts. And so um, I was uh, honored to have met, met him. My dad met him. You see pictures of him and Michael on the website. But, um, you know, after raising so much money and, you know, fundraising is great. I love that. But then there's another side uh, to the disease. You know, you have a lot of 5Ks and, and walks and runs for the disease. You have these fancy dinners and auctions and benefits for the disease. And guess who's standing right next to the person with the disease? A caregiver. And so you don't hear of a 5K for a caregiver, a fancy dinner auction. So I presented the idea to the Fox Foundation, and so they gave me the name Team Gateway to a Cure, and we, uh, we're a 501c3, we have a board of directors, and what we wanted to do was really focus on the other side of the disease, and that's the caregiver, and educating them. Because until we do have a cure for Parkinson's, which we don't, but until we do, we are racing for another day of life, giving them hope and comfort, and that comes from the caregiver. And so we have a documentary movie, which you can see the trailer on the website, A Race for Another Day, which really talks about how important 
the role of a caregiver is to the next day of life for that person battling the disease of Parkinson's. Awesome. And Jen, once again, can you get let everybody know your website and social media accounts? TeamGatewayToACure.org. Awesome. Yay! <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to come back, you guys, and we'll do a Q&A, and this time I'll have a neurologist with me. Oh, we'll that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Just let us know when, and we'll have you back on. Absolutely. And, Jen, and I definitely will come back on only on one account that I get a, t a shirt that looks just like Jeff's. <laughs> I'll see what, what I can do, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. This has been fun. Oh, it has been, Jen. And let us know. Whatever we can do to help out your organization, we'll be happy to do it. Whether I appreciate you know, it. Whether it's fundraising or anything like that, you know, you, you got our email and everything. So let us know what we can do to help your organization out. We'd be happy to do it. I would love to do a virtual fundraiser. That every, would be every, every five or $10 that's raised, I'll answer a question about what really happens behind the scenes on an NFL cheerleader. Like, there's so many funny stories, you guys. I can't even tell you. I mean, it would be so funny so funny to hear some of these stories it's great you know what let's set it up let's do it trivia trivia with jen there you go <laughs> let's set it up let's do it i love all it all right well you guys god bless you all hope you and your family are all well and healthy and uh you guys stay stay healthy and well and we'll have definitely have to talk again okay absolutely jen whatever you want to all right take care Bye, okay guys. you too and that was Jen Cobb. Love having her on the show. Good information for caregivers out there. They are very, very important. And uh, I liked her talking about the NFL a little bit too. So uh, good conversation with Jen. Hopefully we can have her on again real soon. Uh, great guest on the Sports Skill live stream here. But uh, let's get to some sports as we always do here on the Sports Skill live stream. And it's been a busy week in sports. Um, start off with the NBA. Uh, they have been boycotting some games uh, over the past day or so. We're doing this on Friday. Um, they are going to return to play, although originally the Lakers and the Clippers voted to uh, can the rest of the playoffs, not play at all, but they had a players meeting and they decided to return to action so we will have nba playoff action on the horizon uh joe what's your thought about the uh players boycott um well it was well i think it uh it was great that the players came together and for the most and for the most part of course not every there's never going to be a hundred percent but they all they all agreed they agreed to do this they and they did it on their own. It was, it wasn't, um, as far as we know, wasn't uh, perpetrated by like the owners or anything. And I think that should, you know, just to show that, you know, they're not, you know, this isn't some kind of PR stunt that they were doing. And, no. um, you know, honestly, if they were going to do it, they, I would have had it go on longer. I know I would love to see the playoffs going on, but having it, after one day saying that, okay, we're going to get the games. Okay. We're going to get the games on. It kind of, it, it still sort of feels like a, like a little bit of a PR stunt, something like the players were like, 
like I don't want to assume anything, but they or if they wanted a lasting effect on this instead of making it feel you like for some people like this didn't do anything, they should have had it gone gone go on longer, maybe like a week or something to really get the message across. Joe, I was watching the first take yesterday while this boycott was going on. I found Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman's con comments about this pretty interesting. They both said that if they wanted their message to be clear and concise, they needed to get back on the court. That's the way the message is to be spread. Get back on the court, show other sports leagues that their message is clear. Spread the message among players, spread the message among teams, spread the message among their peers in other sports leagues. NFL's gonna be taking notice. If the NFL takes notice and sees that this is what the NBA is doing, this is what NHL is doing, this is what MLB is doing. I saw at the Mets Marlins game last night, 42 second moment of silence. We get up batter came to the plate. Then both teams left the field. Black Lives Matter shirt was put on home plate. No game. If NFL sees this, which you know they will most likely see it, they're going to come out and say, this is what we got to do. Advocate for change. Get it out there. Because if a multi-billion dollar league sees a protest movement going on, they're going to want to join in and get the wheels moving on fundamental change in our country. Yep. I agree. I agree. And I commend the NBA. I commend Major League Baseball. Uh, football players were stopping practice. Uh, even the NHL got into it. They, can't, they postponed some games as well. So I commend them for taking a stand. I also commend them for going back and uh, continuing on with the playoffs because I truly feel that if they had sat out the rest of the season and there were no sports again, yes, we would have been upset. Yes, it would have hurt us quite a bit. But I do believe that the message would have gotten lost because each player would have been doing something individually. And the message may have gotten lost because now coming back and playing, you're going to have people tuning in. You're going to have ears and eyeballs on these games. And you're going to have microphones being put in the players' faces. And when you do that, when you have these microphones on there, when you have people listening to what these guys are saying, now you can affect change. Now people will be listening to. If, if they went away, then you'd have the social media stuff. And people can scroll through that. You know, we don't have time. I don't want to listen to this guy. But now you'll, you'll have people listening to these athletes. And they can say whatever it is they want to say and they can affect change. And I think that's what they did because now the owners know that, hey, if I don't do something, if I don't cause change, then you know what? I could be affecting not only my sport, but major league, but other sports as well. And I don't want to be the one to cause that because here's the thing. The players may not be able to get their call calls accepted by those in power. Like, uh, the governors and people like the power players in Washington, which I don't trust. Yes, and now 
the owners can. If Jerry Jones calls the governor of Texas, the governor is taking that. I don't care who the governor is with, but the governor is probably taking that call and listening to what Jerry Jones has to say. And, and that's one thing the players wanted. It's like, okay, we've got the monuments taken down. We had the money being thrown in. Okay, that was fine. But now we want action. We want something done. And you know what, owners? You have the power and authority to do it. You can call the governors. You can call the people in Washington and, and get something changed. We can only go so far. But the owners, we want you to do it. And I think now the owners are actually listening. And I think you will see change made. You know, so I want to say bravo for the guys for doing this. Uh, I think they said finally enough is enough and we want change made. And, yes, you know, and I think that's why they're encouraging people to get out and vote and vote with your heart and vote with the, what you believe in. And, you know, whoever that may be for, just get out and vote. And, uh, and if you don't like what your leader, whether that means, you know, somebody on the county or somebody, you know, in local government or state government or in Washington, D.C., if you don't like what they're doing, vote them the heck out of there. And I think that's what the players are saying. You know, let's get change done. Let's get change made. And uh, bravo for the guys for doing that. And Mike, like you brought up just now, I think the Mets did an absolutely amazing job on uh, Wednesday night when uh, they did their uh, boycotting of the game. Uh, they they came it out was last night. It was last night they did it. Or last night, I mean, uh, Thursday night they came out. They stood together. They they honored Jackie Robinson. They put the Black Lives Matter shirt on home plate. Great statement, very well done. Um, but the one thing I will say was not well done is uh, the little slip up by the Mets GM, Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, uh, of course. Brody, Brody does it again. He does. Apparently, he was wearing a hot mic. He was talking to somebody who has yet to be identified, and he criticized the commissioner, uh, Rob Manfred, uh, for the way he was going to handle the boycotting of the game. He wanted the Mets to come out uh, and then go back into the locker room and then apparently come out about an hour or so later and play the game. And Brody was on the had a hot mic, and he was caught talking to somebody. So he basically pulled Tom Brenneman. Yes. Not quite as bad as Brenneman, but, you know uh, – but still pretty bad. And then he blamed it on the Mets owner uh, who's going to be selling the team anyway. So I guess that's one guy you want to throw underneath the bus, but uh, not hey, a good look. Fred deserves to be criticized. He brought this upon himself with all these labor negotiations, the players negotiations. And now this, I think man forgot what he deserved there. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Joe? Well, just just to be clear, because I thought – I know eventually they it, Rob Manfred came out and said, like, I said no such thing. Yeah. Basically, or I didn't say that. I wouldn't be surprised if he was just covering up. Like, Brody, It's a cover-up, Joe. It's a cover-up. Like, I, I don't have faith in Rob Manfred anymore. <laughs> I, I honestly yeah. – like, at first I was shocked. Vote him like, out. Now that I think about it, 
Like he would do some, he would do something like that. And it, you know, Brody Van Wagner wasn't, you know, just what talking at talking, uh, um, out of whatever. He just, he didn't make that up. That's the point. He didn't make it up. He heard it from somewhere. Someone had the idea and, um, whether it was the will, whether it was Jeff Wilpon or what, or uh, Rob Manfred, you know, uh, some someone did it. And I think Brody, Brody's uh, taking the fall here, and he's not. He shouldn't, you know. No, I I agree with you, Joe, because you know he did hear it from somewhere. It, it was either the Mets owner or the commissioner, one or the other. And I do believe he was talking to somebody. He didn't realize the mic was on. So I do believe it came from Manfred. And I do believe <laughs> that uh, blaming the Mets owner is just a way to get heat off of him with uh, Manfred. I do believe it was Manfred. I, I, I am uh, because it seemed like a natural conversation. Uh, when you read the transcript or you hear what he had to say, it seemed like a natural conversation. It's like, this is what I heard from the commissioner, et cetera. He didn't mention the Mets owner at all during it. So I do believe it came from the commissioner and they're just trying to lay, you know, deflect blame. You know, I, I really do. And, you know, and uh, who knows if Brody Van Wagen and once the sale goes through, if the owner, new owner is going to look at this and say, you know what, I don't want Brody as my GM anymore. And, you know, give Brody the heave ho. Who knows? But agent as a GM, not smart. You know, well, well, no, they're going to have a GM, Mike. It's just who's it going to be? You know, you know, is it going to stay with Brody for another year? And who's going to be the new Mets owner? You know, that's going to be decided real, real soon, too. Uh, it's definitely not going to be Brody again. You know. Agent transitioning to a GM, not the best idea. Eh, you never know. Some agents, I think, can do it. But you got to have the aptitude for it. You got to be able to have the connections. And you can't step all over yourself. You, you know, you got to know when the mic's hot, when it's not, what to say, what not to say, you know. And he uh, has failed. And, yeah, pretty much, I would say, you know, in that failed department, at least, test. at least recently. So. He failed the Brenneman test there. Yes, he did. So, That's what I'm calling him from now on. <laughs> well, no, he Tom didn't Brenneman do has now become a meme. You know, no, I can't criticize him. I can't put him in Brenneman's category because what Brenneman did is far, far worse than what Brody did. So I, I'm not even – don't even compare the two, Mike. Don't, e don't even put him in, in Brenneman's category because that is just not right. Don't even, don't even go there, Mike, because Brenneman uttered a racial slur and, and Brody did not even come close to doing that. What Brody did was utter something against the commissioner on a hot mic. Yeah, it happens to a lot of people, and, he, and the mess and the commissioner were kind of covering it up. But to compare him to what Brenneman did is absolutely theoretically wrong. I, I don't, don't even compare the two because Brenneman, I don't know if you agree, Joe, but I thought what Brenneman did is 10 times worse than what Brody did. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think Brody's in the wrong whatsoever. I just think, I just think Manfred and Will, Will Pond are mad because he, you know, you know, he's going out. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's bad. Like an, an actual, like general manager's bad talking to the commissioner. You know, the players have done it. 
your fans have done it, but when someone higher up like that is doing it, it's all of a sudden, it's all of a sudden like that's taboo. Yep. And and what whatever Brennerman did, it was a homophobic slur, by the way. Oh it's yeah. It's a slur, but you may as well get the say the right information and huh yeah what's Uh, homophobic yeah but any but anyway yeah whatever one it's it was tom brennan's job to have a microphone in front of him and he's an announcer he should have known that brody was just brody van wagner is he's a gm he was having a conversation he didn't realize there was a mic it's not his job to realize there's a mic there or maybe he forgot I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, kind of got away from our NBA topic, but uh, just to return to it real quick, the Sixers have fired uh, head coach Brett Brown. He was dismissed this okay. week after the Sixers got blown out by the Boston Celtics, losing the series Flaps. four games to none. Sixers did not look good at all uh, in the series, losing to the Celtics. Uh, you know, Brett Brown probably deserved to be fired after all this time. The the Sixers had gotten back to a point where they were pre-process. Uh, so now the Sixers are looking for a new head coach. Uh, Joe, from the outside, what kind of a head coach do you think would be good for the Philadelphia 76ers? Um, honestly, they, they need someone who – it depends on on the uh, what the personnel they keep on their roster because if they keep things so, similar to the way they are, they need a they need a guy who's better, who's more. I want to say he's more old school in his in his thinking because you know that's how the team. I know where like old school as in, you know, not not that you don't shoot threes, but you know, just not. It's not the Rockets or something like that. And because Ben Simmons, you know, obviously can't shoot. And can't while shoot Joel Embiid can shoot, he, you know, he's better off. He, he's normally down in the post and Ben Simmons driving. Like if Ben Simmons could even shoot a mid-range, that'd be something. But like, he can't even do that. Like, um, they just, they both clog up each other. So um, if you're not going to trade one of the two, it would be Ben Simmons if you did. And... Um, if you're not going to trade one, two, get more of an old style coach. I don't know who they would get out there. I can't give you a name, but if they want, but if they want someone that's, if they want someone else, you know, um, if they want someone else, uh, I've, I've heard rumors that Popovich might, um, uh, might be a candidate. I don't know what his situation, the situation is in San Antonio, but I can't imagine him leaving. Um, but neither can I. They honestly, if the Sixers want to get better, they either they need to trade away. I would. I don't think they should give up on trade away and give up Ben Simmons. You know, I heard some people do that. If anything, I would say I would. You know, the best move is to trade Al Horford. The only problem is his contract is so bad. It's a horrible yeah. contract. No one's going to want to trade for that unless they're getting it's a some contract. Exactly. Yeah. Unless, unless they're giving like good, uh, unless they're getting like some kind of draft capital or something. And yeah, they're, the Sixers are in a tough spot right now, honestly. That's, a, that's all I got to say. No, I completely agree with you. I know one coach that 
they will not be getting, and I can't see him getting the Villanova head coach, Jay Wright. I can't see him leaving Villanova to coach the Sixers where the Sixers are currently at. If they were on the trend, if they were trending upwards, I would say maybe Jay Wright might consider it, but being where the Sixers are, having the oppressive contracts that they have, Looking at the front office, you know, they still haven't cleared out a lot of the guys from the Brian Colangelo era. So you have those guys in there, and those guys are going to be making some decisions on the roster. You know, either if it's getting input to the GM, Elton Brand, or pushing to sign a guy, whatever the case may be, they're going to have input for the Sixers roster going forward. And as long as those Colangelo guys are intermixed among the Sixers front office, I can't see Jay Wright agreeing to come to the Sixers unless they are on the upswing. And I don't see the Sixers being on the upswing. I see the Sixers being back kind of where they were pre-process. And that, and that is being this middle of the road kind of playoff team where all right, you make the playoffs. Maybe you're a mid-round seed or a lower seed, but you make the playoffs. But you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to be one of the one of these teams that people are looking at to make the conference finals or the NBA finals. And conversely, that means you're not in the lottery. So you're not going to be getting one of these high-round draft picks coming out of college. So that put this, and the Sixers are in cap hell again. So it makes it very difficult to improve your team if you're the Sixers. And that's why they're going to need something to kind of jolt this team, move it forward again. Now, I've heard Ty Lue's name being mentioned. I don't know if he would agree to come to the Sixers. Uh, now, also, uh, you also had. Uh, the Indiana Pacers firing Nate McMillan. And he's gotten a lot of positive reviews among the coaching fraternity. Uh, certainly the Celtics head coach has spoken out on his behalf. Uh, his 183 wins are the third most in Pacers as a Pacers head coach uh, since becoming an NBA franchise, trailing only Frank Vogel, who had 250, and Larry Brown, who had 190. Um, the key with Nate McMillan, though, is he's only won three playoff games. He's 3-16 and 16 in the playoffs. So if you're the Sixers and you're bringing in a head coach to try and get you over the hump, to try and get you playoff wins, I'm not sure Nate if that's – Yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's Nate McMillan or not since he's only won three playoff games. He's 3-16. and 16. I, You know, that's kind of – you know, that, that's kind of – Honestly, yeah. I don't think – like, as much as it is an issue, the head coaching vacancy isn't even the Sixers' biggest biggest issue. They're, they don't – they barely have any perimeter shooting. They got rid yeah. – they got rid uh, – they let J.J. Redick walk. And, you know, obviously when they traded Jimmy Butler, yeah. um, he gave him he, – Jimmy Butler was the glue of the team. And, you know, he's, you know, he sealed things up on the perimeter. He's a good shooter. And um, they just don't have that kind of – they don't have any sort of dominating presence around the perimeter. Ben Simmons being the, being the 
the main ball handler, like, you know, he, he's driving inside. And I know they have other comp, they have other guys, maybe like Shake Milton or something like that, but they, or Josh Richardson, but they don't, they, you know, they have too many guys clogging on the inside. Al, Al Horford, you know, is slows, slows molasses, you know, he's, he's, pretty much average he doesn't mesh well with Joel Embiid anytime they're on the court and you know they they need to find players that mesh well together because any coach is gonna have a hard time coaching the team any coach that they hire they need to address their personnel issues yeah that I will give you they definitely need some outside shooting uh the other thing about the Philadelphia 76ers is in addition to the owners bidding on the New York Mets to become their new owners, they're also exploring the possibility of building a new basketball arena at Penn's Landing. And the team has launched a lobbying campaign to get local officials behind a plan to help finance construction with taxpayer support. I am against it. Uh, reason I am against it is because, again, in this time of a pandemic, you're asking taxpayers to help support a new arena, which, by the way, the Wells Fargo Center is undergoing a revamping, a renewing, and they're doing a lot to the Wells Fargo Center to refresh it. And I don't think this is a time to ask taxpayers when you have a lot of people out of work and struggling to make ends meet. I don't think this is a time to explore a new basketball arena and vacate the Wells Fargo Center, which I think is fine to watch a basketball game at. I think people enjoy going to the Wells Fargo Center and enjoying Sixers basketball. I just think this is the wrong time to do that. And by the way, you're also bidding on the New York Mets. And that's I don't want them to touch my Mets. And I don't blame you. So, you know, the thing about to me is if you can if you can somehow afford X amount of money to become owners of the New York Mets. You know what? Maybe that money that you're bidding on for the New York Mets can be used to finance this new arena that you're looking for in Penn's Landing. So instead of asking for taxpayer support, take that money that you're using to buy the New York Mets, which, as Mike just said, he doesn't want uh, Josh Harris anywhere around his organization. You know, so take that money that you're using to buy the New York Mets, that couple of billion dollars or so, and put that towards the arena if that's what you want. Finance the arena yourself. Don't put it on the taxpayers. They have enough to worry about as it is in Philadelphia. So, But, but Jay, I want to spend yeah. my uh, rent money to build a new stadium. Won't that help me out? <laughs> <laughs> Now, it makes no sense. It doesn't. It, it To me, it absolutely doesn't. So, you know, take the money that you're using to buy the New York Mets and redirect it to the new arena if that's what you want, Josh Harris. But don't put it on the taxpayers. They have enough to worry about already. You have or, a fine... here's an idea. Okay. Don't do it at all. Don't, don't do a new arena at all. Yeah. Like, honestly... I agree. I agree with that, too. You don't, you know, I'm just saying, if you want a new arena... Put that Mets money towards a new arena and don't put it on the taxpayers. But you don't need one. The Wells Fargo Center is and has been going through a revamping, a renewal of sorts inside the building. So, 
you don't need to move out, Josh Howard. Stay, stay where you are. Stay in the Wells Fargo Center. You know, um, also wanted to touch on, we uh, touched on the Mets a little bit. Want to touch on the Phillies real quick. Uh, you know, Mike may not like it, but right now the Phillies are a playoff team. They are currently in eighth place in the National League, which which would guarantee them a playoff spot if the season were to end today. So right now, uh, as we interplay on Friday evening, the Mets, the, the Phillies are a playoff team. So congratulations to the Phillies. Despite all your struggles, you now control that eighth and final uh, seed for the MLB playoffs. Uh, so that tells you how wacky and wild this baseball season is. As bad as the Phillies have struggled. But isn't this about the time where the Phillies collapse like the Guanas Canal? I mean, well, that's that a was, secret they have. Don't say anything. <laughs> well, that was with their old manager, who's currently on the San Francisco Giants, who, by the way, uh, helped the Phillies get to that uh, eighth playoff spot by losing a doubleheader on Thursday night. Thank you, Gabe Kapler. Uh, also, what was really cool is uh, the last time the Phillies took the field, Joe Girardi got his 1,000th win as a manager. So congratulations to Joe Girardi. Uh, Bryce Harper gave a nice speech to him uh, in the clubhouse. Uh, Joe, I'll go to you. I'll go to you with this one. It was great to see Girardi get his 1,000th win, although it wasn't on the Yankees. You know, I, 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 have, a, I have a soft spot for him, you know. I, you know, he was a great manager for us. And, you know, I like, it's like Didi, same thing on the Phillies. I just yeah. – I like, you know, former Yankees that – former Yankees I just I just grew to love. You know, I'm sad that they're not on the team. But, you know, if they're succeeding somewhere else, you know, I just love to see it. So, you know, nothing – of course, nothing but respect for Girardi and, you know, big milestone 1,000. And, you know, if, any, if anybody could uh, somehow get this Philly team in the playoffs, it's him. Yeah, I, you know, the one – you know, we're going to see how well he manages the bullpen. Um, I know he said that Workman and Nearest were going to remain at the back end of it, closing games. Yes, they should. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a little skittish on Nearest coming out in the ninth inning with his recent struggles, but it is what it is, and that's Girardi's decision. So, uh, as Phillies fans, we're going to have to uh, – Drink some beverages and white knuckle through those nine innings now as we go forward. Um, Joe, as far as the Yankees go, uh, they acquired catcher Rob Brantley from the San Francisco Giants, Gabe Kapler's team, in exchange for some cast considerations. Brantley was added to the Yankees' 60-man roster and assigned to uh, the alternate site. Uh, they also had some injuries this past week. I believe, oh. I believe Judge went down again. Uh, what's your Yankee update here? Uh, it, it, it's a, they're, uh, it's rough here in the Bronx. Um, you know, uh, you know, Garrett Cole has been the only consistently good starting pitcher all year at his first bad start of the season against the Braves and. You know, he was still striking guys out, but he was just giving up the home run ball too much. And 
they've not been winning much lately. And I, I know I, I hear from my, I hear from some of my friends all the time. One of my friends who's a Mets fan, I, I was like, Oh my God, the Yankees have been losing so much lately. Like I, and all the injuries, he's like, oh, yeah, try being the Mets fan. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> but your team, Please. it's not like your team was supposed to be one, arguably the best team in the MLB or anything. Like, this is, you know, Judge going on the injured list again. I, you know, I, you know, I know it sounds very tra- uh, childish to say, but it's just not fair. He's one of the best uh-huh. players in the MLB. And I don't know how he's gets, why he's so injury prone. But at some point, you know, I hate to say it, but like, if he, doesn't show that he can consistently stay in the field in the next maybe like uh, four years, five years. Uh, they might have to move on from him. You know, when he, whenever he's due, whenever he's done the arbitration period and he's due is that big contract, you know, depending on how it is, I, maybe, they, maybe they don't sign him. It may not be the best idea to a, to a long-term contract. And I hate to say it because, like, Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge is one of my favorite players. And – you know, they have other injury situations with big starts. Still, DJ LeMay, who's out. Glaber Torres out. Zach, that bullpen, Tommy Canely's out for years. Zach Britton's injured. And, you know, the team's just being – last year they showed their resilience with the injuries, but there were still some of those glue guys there. Like, Glaber Torres was healthy all year round. LeMay, he was healthy all year round. And now that those guys are – Zach Britton was still there. Uh, Canely was still there. That bullpen's kind of – it was supposed to be arguably the best bullpen in baseball. Now it's, it's looking a little wonky right now. It's looking a little iffy. And uh, right now they are current, you know, knock on wood, the Yankees are currently beating the Mets right now, but, you know, and hopefully maybe they, they could start, you know, uh, get going on their winning ways. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how many more injuries it can take before the replacement players start playing like replacement players. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I compare maybe Joe Judge and Stan a little bit to Roman Quinn in the sense that we can see now what the Phillies have always seen in Roman Quinn, how much of a game changer Roman Quinn is. Now, of course, Stan and Judge are home run hitters, and Roman Quinn is – not he's more of a bunter get a single gap you know hit the ball in the gap steal bases and we can see how much of a game changer Roman Quinn can be when he gets on base it's almost a run for the Phillies uh but he struggled for years with his injury history always getting hurt always going on the disabled this year he's finally healthy and has been healthy knock on wood uh, that he doesn't go back on the table, but we can see how much of a game changer he is. And the same thing with uh, uh, with your guys, uh, Judge and Stanton. But you know, we see both of them uh, constantly coming on and going off the uh, injured list, and that has to be frustrating for a Yankee fan. It, it is. There's just so much potential in that team, and when they are on the field together, you know, they're unstoppable in the beginning of the season when they were both healthy before Stanton went down, they were both, Stanton was having an amazing, was off to an amazing start. I was like, oh, he's back to his old ways. We're right back to 2018, which a lot of Yankees fans tend to remember. He did play the whole season and he led the team in home runs and RBIs, 38 home runs, hundred RBIs. Exactly. And then, you know, the injury thing last year stunk, but, 
you know, Aaron Judge, ever since his uh, rookie year in 2017, he has struggled to stay on the field. And, it, and we know what he's capable of. When, this year, when he wasn't hurt, Aaron Judge was on a tear. He was on a man on a mission. Yeah, um, you know, I, he wasn't, say, the best player in baseball. That's Mike Trout. But he was, at the, at the moment, looking like the best player in baseball, playing like it. And, you know, you know, when they're not on the field, you know, that impact, you know, the Yankees just don't have that, you know, that power back, that intimidation factor like they, like they used to. Absolutely. I mean, those are two, those are two game changing players right there. It's, and like you said, when they're in the lineup together, that is an extremely difficult lineup to get through. I mean, we see it on the Phillies when Harper and Ram Muto are hitting back to back. That can put such a that can be so stressful on an opposing pitcher. You know? The only positive I can take from this is that Clint Frazier is finally getting the playing time he deserves. And honestly, the way he's been hitting, he shouldn't go down. If if I had it my way, I'd release Breck. I'd I'd you know I hate to do it to Breck Gardner because I love him. He's a, been a Yankee for his whole career, but like he's just the worst outfielder on the roster right now. And they keep it. They keep him on there because, because one, because you know he's a, he's a Yankee vet. He's a Yankee veteran. Spent his whole career with them, and he had a good year last year, given. But you know, I think that was just like kind of like one of those, you know, the you have that a good career. You know, guys like happen all the time late in their career. They have like one good season, and I think that was it. And you know, they keep him because it's a lefty bat. The Yankees do not have many lefties, especially as their main guy so like all the lefties come off the bench it seems and um it seems that's the only reason they're keeping Gardner around but Clint Frazier's you know smiles better the guy's been waiting in the wing for too long and he's you know his first at bat back when he got when he his first at bat this season he hit a home run like that just shows like like the guy's ready and as I speak he just hit a two-run home run just got the notification <laughs> you know he had an RBI double or he's three RBIs and two extra base hits he's two today already so you know man I wish I picked him up on my fantasy team I was thinking about it but yeah you know that just goes to show you like the Yankee they while they do have other options with their replacement players they I don't know I I this went into the Yankees are injury riddled to they need to get rid of Brett Gardner but yeah they right now the injuries are the injuries are really are are really hurting the Yankees right now and it's actually showing on the field this time as opposed to last year. Because I think, honestly, I think the injuries are more severe this year than what was happening last year. I think so, too. Uh, turning our attention to the NFL, uh, some stories that came out this week for the Philadelphia Eagles. Andre Dillard will have surgery on his injured biceps. Uh, that looks like it will be season-ending for Dillard, the young left tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. This means that Jason Peters will move from right guard back to his left tackle position that he's been manning for a while for the Philadelphia Eagles. So he goes back to a more comfortable position. It also means that tackle Matt Pryor will move in and be the starting right guard for the Philadelphia Eagles. So changes along the offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles could be uh, interesting as we go forward. Jason Peters, of course, is older. 
Uh, we wonder how much longer he can man that left tackle position, but it's going to be more comfortable for him, assuredly, than playing right guard. So an interesting move for the Eagles offensive line. We're going to see how good Matt Pryor is now that he's going to step into a starting role. And, uh, I, you know, you're trying to protect Carson Wentz, uh, who's had an injury history, uh, you know, although last year's concussion, I can't put on Carson Wentz. But, you know, the injuries prior to that, yes, you know, you can put that on, on Wentz. But uh, you got to protect the quarterback. And, Joe, changes along the Eagles' offensive line, I don't know if this is good or bad. Yeah, um, I don't. I can't say. I can't say this is good. You know, they already had Brandon Brooks, the all their uh, Pro Bowl All Pro yep. level guard, get her. You know, Jason Peters going to move to the inside. I can't. I can't say. I don't. I'm not sure if he's played guard ever in his career. Well, he's moving back to his uh, his left tackle position. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. I don't know. So that's true, but yeah, but now. But even then, like he's not the player, he not he's not the player he once was. And you know, while he's been, he's certainly been uh, at least reliable. At of um, he's been reliable of some sort. Yeah. You want to get Dillard in there. You want to see what the young gun can do. And um, and, and and this is a, and this is the thing too, Joe, is the fact that. Dillard was looking okay. He wasn't looking great. He had, you know, he was having difficulties with the bull rush, but he was a young left tackle. And I think the Eagles used a high draft pick on him. And you want to see exactly what his potential could be in the course of an NFL season. And now once again, going on uh, the injury list for the Eagles, we're not going to get to see what he's capable of. And, the Eagles may be forced against their will in the upcoming NFL draft where some of these colleges have shut down at least for a while in terms of playing college football. Now all of a sudden you're going into this off season where there may be questions. Now all of a sudden the Eagles may have to draft a left tackle, a premium position and maybe use a high draft pick on that where they thought they might have had it covered, but if you can't depend on Andre Dillard to be out there and you don't know what he's going to give you, you may be forced in this next draft to draft a left tackle. I wouldn't, maybe not next draft. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but you know, it is upsetting. You know, the giants are going through the same, just what are going through the same thing with a, you know, a, a highly drafted rookie, their second hot, their early second round pick Xavier McKinney was rumored he he got he dropped to the second round. Some people thought he was the best safety in the draft. You know he's going to be out for ten plus weeks. He's having foot surgery, so it's just, it's the same thing. You know, it stinks for both teams. They got, you know, when you have a young when you when you have a young promising player that that's now in the field right away. But um, I think if the if the Eagles are just a little patient, they I sh I don't think they should jump the gun and draft another tackle in the first round. Um, not yet, at least. Unless okay. Things get worse, but um, uh, I, you know, uh, this year's gonna be a rough year. Everyone's struggling because of COVID, so I wouldn't, you know, maybe they'll get a little bit more of a break, even though this isn't COVID related. You know, the league's yeah. just 
You know, it's like the MLB. Like it's there's going to be a, a good. There's going to be more surprises than usual this year. And you know, maybe maybe Matt Pryor uh, shows down. Maybe he's an uh, he's a a gem that the Eagles uh, discovered. But so you got it. So you got to see. Like this is a chance for this guy to this guy prior to, you know, show what he's got. Maybe he, maybe uh, he turns out to be really good. Maybe not, but. Yep. And uh, the other thing that came out about the Eagles this year is uh, there's going to be no fans at Lincoln Financial Field until further notice. So expect that if you're a season ticket holder or you were kind of hoping to go to an Eagles game this season, uh, those plans have been put on hold. Uh, this could affect the Eagles, and some other teams have said no fans this year as well. Uh, here's how it affects the Philadelphia Eagles. Their home record was 23-9. and Their own record, 15-17. and uh, Points allowed per game at home, 16.5. Points allowed per game on the road, 25. So you can see that goes up. Um, so you can see that having home field advantage means quite a bit for the Philadelphia Eagles, and it probably does for some other teams as well. Now, I know some other teams are limiting the amount of fans that they're going to have inside their stadium. They're not going to be filled to capacity. They're drastically re reducing it, like the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe, are doing that as well, uh, only allowing a few thousand fans or whatever, maybe 10,000. Uh, or so, five, ten thousand, whatever the number that they set. But you know, my question is: Shouldn't there be a uniform rule across the NFL saying that if one team deems it not appropriate because of COVID nineteen, because of the pandemic that we're currently under, if one team says no fans, then none of us have any fans at the stadium? You know, shouldn't there be that kind of rule across the NFL? Because now you may have that home field advantage for some team versus another team who's not having any fans and are trying to do their best to stop the spread of uh, the virus. I agree. I don't uh, – personally, I don't, I don't think there should be fans. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think – but like you said, if they're going to do it, you know, do it, you know – Either all the teams get get you know some fans they whatever protocol the teams decide or there's no fans for any teams because you're right that's unfair they and especially in Philly no matter what the reputation of the fans may be you know the players lip the players feed off of that and you know like you said the record sh the stats show their record shows that they are they are better at home and it's because of, and it's because of those fans they feel more comfortable. And, you know, you know, Philly fans are very passionate. So oh God, you know, yes. not having, <laughs> yeah, passionate could be used in a good or a bad way here. But exactly. They won the Super but, Bowl. Let's burn something. Hey, we lost. Let's burn something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have COVID. Let's burn something. Oh but within God. six feet. But within, <laughs> you know. You know, it's going to be a shame, uh, a shame for some for some of these teams. Some of the teams are like, you know, the the atmosphere is average. Or in the case of the Chargers, maybe it's better that they don't have fans. You know, maybe they're at the advantage. They're used to it. So, 
Um, but uh, no fans in general at in Philadelphia. That's it's just not, you know it's not going to be the same. I don't know if that how that's going to affect the Eagles team this year. I don't want to say like the fans are the reason why they were doing well at home, but you know they were definitely part of that reason. Okay, yeah. get here. Okay, I think that you know fans can. There are some sports, and I think football is one of them, where fans can make a difference in the outcome of a game. You know, when you're talking about uh, forcing the opposing team to take a timeout when they don't want to because of the fan noise and the quarterback can't uh, audible or, you know, we see that in Seattle and some other stadiums. I think that's happened in Philadelphia a few times. You know, fans can make this huge difference. And if one team has them in their stadium and the other team says because of the current pandemic, because we don't want to spread – COVID-19, we don't want to be the cause of it. We want to keep our fans happy, healthy, and safe. We just don't think that it would be appropriate. I, I think the NFL should say, you know what, if some of the teams are that way, then none, you know, and they did this, and, you know, leagues have done this. They said, you know what, and they did it for the draft. They said, you know what, if, if uh, an NFL team can't have personnel in their stadium, if they're, if they're under – uh, COVID-19 rules, you know what? Nobody's going to have people in their stadium and we're going to do a virtual draft, you know, and nobody's going to be – and the NFL did that for the draft. And I think it would be fair to say if one team or multiple teams say that they can't have fans in their stadium and are taking that stand, then you know what? Nobody's going to have fans, you know. And I, I agree with you, Jay. You know, you know? It's yeah. like, it should be uniform, not one or the other. I mean – it's it's like uh, you know what's going on, uh, like with the governors. They decide what goes on in each state. It shouldn't be that way with something like the NFL or even the uh, MLB or anything like that. If one team does one thing, all of them should do it. It should be across the board. Yep. This way, you keep it fair, and at the same time, we're dealing with something that isn't. Um, it, it has to do with basically life and death right now, and it's not just so much as you know, dealing with money or things like that, or a stadium's falling apart, you know, nothing like that. We're talking about a pandemic. It's so different. So everything should be across the board until yep. it's, you know, gone and then open back up and let people come back in. Yep. Uh, the other, another interesting news story came out. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens released, Earl Thomas, the safety, the highly regarded safety, uh, he was reportedly going to sign with the Dallas Cowboys. They've been mentioned time and again as the team that may go out and sign the free agent safety. Uh, Charles Robinson tweeted out uh, before the Cowboys, Jerry Jones speaks about Earl Thomas. He said that he thinks he's leaning into what Mike McCarthy wants in a locker room. McCarthy is very close to Seahawks GM John Schneider. Um, so John Schneider could be advising uh, the Cowboys head coach as to what to expect from Earl Thomas going forward. If there's anything McCarthy needs to know about Thomas, Schneider will have told him. That's per Charles Robinson. So far, the Cowboys have not signed. Earl Thomas, he remains a free agent out there. 
So, uh, Joe, what do you think? Do you think the Cowboys eventually sign Earl Thomas? Does Earl Thomas sit out there? Now, Earl Thomas has some baggage that goes along with him. So I don't know if teams are going to be reluctant to sign the free agent safety. Um, I think still he's still a very value. Uh, he's still a, an above average safety in this league. You know, I, I'm not sure about the if the Cowboys are. You know, there's always rumors of of the cow. You know, people saying I know this is more of a credible source. People saying you know the Cowboys are going to sign this player and that player. It's like the Yankees. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we could go out and sign any of these players because we're America's team. But you know, if what if what we're from what uh, we're hearing here, you know, I wouldn't. You know, of course, Earl Thomas going to the Cowboys. I think that could be a good possibility. Um, Just one more for you. Hold out. He's gonna hold out until all these issues are addressed, until all his baggage is addressed. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, when you hold out, that means you're you're upper echelon in your position and Earl Thomas is not that anymore. And I don't was at, at this point in his career, I don't think he's going to be looking, he's not going to be signed to a deal on eight, three years max is the deal he's going to be signed to. And that's like, I don't even think he'll get that, but honestly the Cowboys will probably sign him to a one or two year contract if they do or any team for that matter. Yeah. Because here's the deal. He, he was released because of conduct detrimental to the team. He had gotten into a fight with another player on the Ravens, but you got, you got to think that there were also some other issues that maybe haven't come to light as of yet, because you don't necessarily get released because of one fight in training camp. Exactly. I, you know, when you're a player, the stature of, of Thomas, you know, you get, multiple infractions so you got to think there was other things going on behind the scenes maybe being late to meetings what what have you and the other thing I find curious is how many players on the Ravens have and in this day and age of social media right how many players on the Ravens have come out on their social media accounts and spoken out in favor of Earl Thomas right how many players have said Oh my God, I can't believe we released Earl. I wish he would have come back. He was a great teammate. We're going to miss him. I, I wish we would have not released him. How many Ravens players have come out on their social media accounts and actually said that? I can't I, recall. I, uh, I, don't, I don't think, I can't think of any. Exa exactly my point. And you know, like, you, you know that, you know, for Jason, for guys like a Jason Peters and so forth, when he, when uh, he hit free agency and the Eagles elect, opted to let him hit it, there were a lot of social media posts coming out from the media and some teammates wishing Jason Peters well and hoping that he would come back to the Eagles, which he ultimately did. But you got that groundswell of support for Jason Peters, and you see that with some players. I haven't heard that at all with Earl Thomas from the Ravens. And that, to me, is telling as well. You know, so for any team that's going to go out and sign Earl Thomas, I think they have the team has to do its due diligence. And like you said, Joe, I think all he's going to get is a one-year prove-it deal and probably for low money. I don't think a team is going to spend top dollar on Earl, on Earl Thomas. And I think, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, I don't think the Cowboys definitely are because looking at their safety situation, they just signed HaHa Clint Dix. You know, that's their number one safety right now. That would be a heck of a duo back there, him, uh, Dix, and uh, Thomas. But, you know, they, their other safety, Xavier Woods, isn't horrible. And, um, you know, so I, is it worth for them to sign it? But also signing a player that maybe they don't need with baggage is right on brand for the Cowboys. Yeah. So I also wouldn't be surprised if they still signed them. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. But here, here's the other thing, too, that I think they have to consider. They still haven't signed, and they won't be able to, but they still haven't signed their quarterback, Dak Prescott, to a contract extension. And my point about that is, how would you feel if you're Dak Prescott? You've seen all these big contracts go out. Here's another contract going out to Earl Thomas, and I haven't gotten my extension yet. And you're paying Earl Thomas to come in. We might not need him. He has baggage to begin with. And you're going out and you're spending money on him. And where's my money? Where's my contract extension? Couldn't you put some of that money towards me that you're now putting towards Earl Thomas? I would be a little ticked off if I was that. Oh, I don't know if Earl Thomas is even going to get that, like, like that much. If we're talking about that well, much, like anything like north of $10 million, I'm not sure if he's yeah. going to get. And if it's only a one-year deal, it's – wouldn't affect Dak's chances of getting an extension because his salary would be wouldn't affect the cap uh, the next year, which is when uh, Dak's new extension would start. But you know, I don't blame. You know, I don't. You know, I guess. I guess oh, yeah. if you're Dak Prescott and you think you, you know, you you deserve that extension, yeah, you'd probably you might feel that way, but. Um, Personally, like, I don't think Dak's still proved it. Yeah, I don't think he's proved it. And maybe he thinks he has, but obviously the Cowboys don't think so. You know, he, you know, he is not, uh, you know, either the team's very mediocre or when they do get in the playoffs, they don't, they really don't do much. So um, the amount of money he's getting paid because he got franchise tag just for, even though it's for one year, you know, he's getting paid a lot of money. And personally, if I'm Dak, Prescott, I'm I'm not worried about what the, who they're signing this this year. You got to worry about going out and showing that you deserve a contract extension. You gotta you gotta really play like in. He had a great regular season last year, but at, uh, for him to move on, I, they for him to for them to you know uh, want to say where, he's the franchise quarterback going forward. They need to he needs to do some more significant in the playoffs. He, they have, he hasn't made, even made a, ch a championship game with the Cowboys. So, you know, maybe if you do that, maybe they show like he's progressing, he's going in the right direction. But I personally, if I'm Dak, I'm not Dak Prescott, but if I were in that kind of situation, I'd rather, I'd worry about, um, I'd worry about, you know, impressing the team enough to, to get that extension. Exactly, than, you know. Joe. You haven't made the championship game. You haven't made it past the divisional game. You don't deserve that contract extension until you've proven that you've progressed. And if you can make it to the championship game this year, I'd say you'd earn that contract extension. Dak Prescott has not earned it. Patrick Mahomes has. Exactly. And once again, 
I, I didn't. I apologize. I didn't put this on the rundown, guys. But uh, still came out this past week. The Washington Post uh, did another expose on the Washington football team. Uh, apparently, the owner Dan Snyder is in hot water once again. Um, what else is new? What else is new exactly? Uh, what do this, you do now? This time it was something that happened a few years ago uh, involving the cheerleaders. Uh, uh, what the uh, Washington uh, the, uh, Beauties on the Beach, uh, the official video chronicling the making of the Washington NFL team's 2008 cheerleader swimsuit calendar. Uh, the women, you know, in the in the video, the women frolic in the sand, rave about custom bikinis, and praise a photographer for putting them in, for putting them at ease in settings where sometimes only a sometimes only a strategically placed prop or highly famed shot shielded otherwise their breast. Right? What the cheerleaders didn't know was that another video intended strictly for private use would be produced using footage from that same shoot set to classic rock. The 10 minute unofficial video featured moments when nipples were inadvertently exposed to the women as the women shifted positions or adjusted their props. Um, the outtakes were what Larry Michael, then the team's head broadcaster and senior vice president, referred to as the good hits, quote-unquote, or the good parts, quote-unquote, according to Brad Baker, a former member of Michael's staff. Baker said in an interview that he was present when Michael told staffers to make the video for team owner Dan Snyder. So now you have this DVD, this video coming out, uh, according to the Washington Post. Um, I can't blame the current regime because Daniel Snyder made changes. He uh, brought in a new head coach, uh, made changes to his front office. So a lot of the guys that were a part of this are now gone, are now excised from the Washington football team's organization. But the owner still remains, and it's under the owner's regime that this was allowed to happen. Um, I, you know, Dan Snyder, I can't say enough bad things about him as an owner. I know he, I know he changed the front office. I just hope the new guys in there are able to right the ship. I want to give them a new, a fresh start, a new, a new chance because they weren't a part of this old regime and they're trying their best to make changes, to set new boundaries, to set new rules, to steer the team on a, on a new course. But I don't know, as long as Dan Snyder's the owner, um, he's the one ultimately that, you know, sets the rules that ultimately says yay or nay on certain things. Um, what do you think, Joe? Um, you know, honestly, I'm not. I I'm not even that phased that much. Like it's 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 bad to say, but you know, 
the stuff Dan Snyder I, – I see Dan Snyder always – he's never good news when you hear Dan Snyder's in the news. So, it, it's tough to say, but I'm not even phased. It's more like, oh, no, another another uh, crazy story with him, another – some sort of antics. So, um, you know, you can't – it's unfortunate that, you know, he – you know, he's the boss of everyone, so you can't really just remove him. But – um, you know, this is, this is a horrible look and the Redskins don't have the best reputation, uh, given the problems they were having with their, uh, name or I'm sorry, it's not the Redskins anymore. That's why they changed yeah. it. It's the football I'm calling team. them the red tails now. But, <laughs> yeah. um, that Washington, I'll just call them Washington. You know, yeah. they don't have the, uh, you know, this, this is just another bad look for them. And, you know, I don't know. That that's all I gotta say. This is just yeah. there's another bad thing. I'm just not I it doesn't phase me much anymore. And and here's the thing, according to the Washington Post, you know, um a former broadcasting partner for the team told the post that Michael ordered that the 2010 video be burned to a DVD titled for executive meeting. So you know, when you do that and you put that title on there, you know that there's something incriminating on that DVD, right? Because, you, yeah. you, you know, you don't, you don't title it for executive media. You know, they he could have titled it anything else, you know, but he titled it for executive meaning. So he knew that it was for him and for those above him. And he knew that there was something incriminating on that DVD. So, again – it's you know it just bothers my mind what went on within this organization and you wonder now if this latest article if the other NFL owners have simply had enough with this guy and are going to force Dan Snyder to tell the sell the team which he probably should be forced to do because like you said Joe every time Dan Snyder's name comes out you know it's going to be something incriminating something embarrassing for not only the the Washington football team but for the NFL and you got to think eventually the other owners are going to say enough is enough we can't take this anymore you're embarrassing us you're embarrassing the shield you're embarrassing the organization what you let go on and sell the team yes you know sell some will ponds no <laughs> no That'd no. be the punishments, selling it to the Wilpons. No, definitely not. Uh, just some things to wrap up our show with. Uh, NHL is going to be resuming play. Uh, we got New York versus Philly, Flyers versus Islanders. Series is tied 1-1. Uh, Joe, uh, what do you think? Uh, who do you think is going to come out of this series, Flyers versus Islanders? Oh, they, oh this is – this is tough. This honestly, I can't. I can't even say right now who's going to come yeah. out of this. This is too. This is uh, right now. This series. This is uh. This series should go anybody's way. And um. Pers personally, I think the Flyers are the slight are the better team. So, you know, the better team doesn't always win it hockey. It's always the hot team. But right, and the Flyers have definitely cooled off since, you know. Have definitely cooled off a little since they were red hot, but they're 
you know, the better team will win, but this is going to be a really tough series. I'm picking the Islanders. Samantha Jacobson, I'm picking your team. Islanders, six games. I don't put it past you. I wouldn't put it past the Islanders either, but of course I am pulling for the Flyers to come out of this. But it's been a really entertaining series so far. Both games have been uh, exhilarating to watch. I don't care what team you're rooting for. Uh, The last game that the two teams played went to overtime. Flyers got that all-important winning goal to tie up the series. I mean, the Flyers going down two games to none. I don't know if they would have come back from that. I I, I got to tell you, the way the series is going, you know, yeah. letting the Islanders get a two games to none uh, series lead, Flyers had to come back and tie up the series. And now that the series is tied, uh, you know, this third game is going to be important to see who goes up two games to one. Uh, and like you said, Joe, it's been an entertaining series. It's been a zillion flyers got out to a three-goal lead and ended up blowing that late in the third period. So it has really been a very tight series. And whoever comes out with passion, with energy, with their skates on and takes it to the other team, that you know, that could be the team that uh, goes up two games to one in this. But it's been a really entertaining series. I'm loving it. Um, the other thing that came out, uh, uh, we can mention too, is Craig Carden is rumored to returning to the airways. I don't know if people remember Craig Carden. He was on, uh, uh, name in a while. Yep. Uh, He used to be on 101.5 and my mom had a bad experience with him. Ah, sorry to hear that, Mike. Uh, he was talking about NASCAR one time and Carden called my mom the S word. Ah, uh, not good at all. He is a bit of a shock jock. I would, I will say that. Um, he was last on CBS Radio, Boomer, uh, Boomer and Carton. Uh, mm-hmm. Geo uh, took over for Craig Carton when he went into some legal difficulties and uh, had to step away from the broadcasting was industry. Also the one who made fun of Daniel Murphy when he went on paternity leave if I'm not mistaken. Probably not. I mean, I'm not going to say yes or no, but uh, being the type of uh, shock shock that he is, uh, he doesn't hold back at all. Um, Now, the rumor... I'll use for FAN. Now, he could be returning to FAN in some role. Uh, We don't know what. He probably wouldn't go back to a drive time role, but uh, maybe midday or on the weekends. I don't know, but uh, there's also the possibility that was thrown out there that it could go to 97.5, the Fanatic. Uh, they might be interested in Craig Carden, so we'll have to wait and uh, see. Boy. But uh, Craig Carden could be uh, returning soon to the airwaves. So we'll have, a, have to wait and see on that. And uh, it is now, of course, fantasy football time. Uh, we want to hear from everybody out there about your fantasy football draft. Who do you like? Who do you don't like? How how did your fantasy draft go? We're going to be having ours coming up this Sunday night, so that should be fun. And um, uh, Joe, Mike, any comments on fantasy football? Um, you know, you know, I've, 
I don't know. Good luck to ev- good luck to everyone, I guess. Except if I play, except if I end up playing you, then then I hope you lose. But um, you know, oh, you know everyone typically again. I follow. Everyone has their own way of playing fantasy football. Yep. I have my own. I I have my own strategy of how I do things, but it all depends on what pick you get. Just because even if like don't you know some people stress about not getting not getting a high pick even if they get the if they end up getting the 10th pick you know there's always a positive side to that you're getting uh you're getting the best you're getting the best second round talent uh, assuming you do a snake draft which most yeah. which uh most uh leagues do that's the standard but yeah. um you know don't worry about don't worry you know don't worry too much about the pick because even if you get the first overall pick which in one of in one of the leagues I'm doing with some friends, that's what happened to me. We were talking about this before. You know, you in a snake draft, I waited so many picks in between. For example, I got I picked Christian McCaffrey first overall. It was either him or yeah. Saquon, but I went with him. And I my next pick did not occur until the twentieth pick, the last pick of the second round. And by then, I wanted to get a good a good wide a top a wide receiver one. And all the big names like Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, they were all off the board. And they were the ones I was targeting. I ended up getting Mike Evans who, as my number one receiver. And he's not bad, but he's border. He's a wide receiver, one, one wide receiver, two borderline. So just it depends on your draft strategy. Your pick doesn't really affect anything. Just for anyone who's nervous about that. I know some people get nervous about whatever pick they have. Now, here's a question. Some people who may be uh, moderately into uh, fantasy football, uh, you mentioned a bunch of names there, and you said you had the number one overall pick. Yeah. Uh, Was there any consideration at all given to the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, Pat Mahomes? That's funny you mentioned that. I actually drafted him in the third – with my third pick. Third pick, or was it maybe the fourth pick? But I remember since as the first pick, I, you know, it sneaks back around it every time after the first time I have a, I have the last pick in the round, then I immediately leave the first pick. So I got two back to backers, and I knew I needed to make up for some scoring. I've some scoring diff that I, I had to make up for some scoring that I was losing by not having top tier wide, uh, wide receivers. So I got Mahomes to, and I knew, like, you know, if, you know, if I didn't pick him now, I wasn't going to get him. And, you know, you know, I went with him early. I, you know, some people are, some people, I believe I got him third or fourth round. Some, he, you know, that I think that's around where he should go if you want to, if you want to go for him. And he's the only quarterback who should be being picked that high. Always yeah. stack up on your wide receivers and your running backs or in the first four rounds. That's why I was doing. Or if there's a good, if there's a really good tight end or quarterback that scores a lot, then that's an exception. But usually the first four rounds should be establishing your uh, establishing running backs and wide receivers. And I, you know, having the number one pick was nice. I got McCaffrey, but like, I, you know, I, you run into problems when you have so much, when you have so much, uh, uh, so many picks in between your own, even though you got two consecutive. Right. 
you yeah. got to you got to really grab guys that you if you don't think they're going to be around and you really want them you got to you got to grab them when you when you can you can't wait around them cuz you're essentially wait you're waiting almost two full rounds for your next two picks so uh i know definitely even on my team i like my starters yeah. but my depth like I'm not the only the only depth I have that I'm liking is Hunter Henry is my backup tight end and CD Lamb's my fourth wide receiver. Those are like yeah. I after Christian McCaffrey and Mark Ingram who are my running backs. My running backs are a bit questionable. So, you know, always, you know, it's good to have good starters, but never underestimate the value of depth or the for, or the waiver wire. It could always yeah, be. I got McCaffrey with my first pick too. Didn't get my first QB until number twenty-one with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that was the next QB that won it. That right. won in our draft. I got Amari Cooper at forty in the fourth round, and backed that one up with Smith Schuster at forty-one. Yeah, see, those guys weren't even available, even if I wanted to take them. So yep. I got Tyler Lockett as my second wide receiver, which isn't, I guess, I, the way he played last year, maybe he he's elevated status as a number as a wide receiver two caliber player. Yeah, I but. picked up Lockett at 60 in the sixth round. Mm. Rodgers at 80, round eight. Singletary mm. at 101, and Jameson Crowder at 120. Yep. And and Jameson, yeah, go ahead, Jay. And I wonder how the pandemic is going to affect some of these players. Like, we haven't had the normal offseason that we normally have with the NFL, like the rookies coming in. Like you said, like a C.D. Lamb, he didn't have uh, the normal OTAs and practice and practices before training camp started. And then even in training camp, we didn't have the preseason games that we normally have. So I'm just wondering, you know, you draft these players, and you may have to wait a couple of a couple of games for the continuity and their abilities to kind of show up and show out. Uh, because of the fact that they're getting used to the speed of an actual NFL game. Mm -hmm. it, exactly. And it's like the same thing that was going on with fantasy baseball this year. Like there's going to be unexpected bumps in the road. You just got to draft, honestly, especially drafting in COVID, unless someone has explicitly said they are not playing, they're on the COVID list because the COVID list yeah. is final now. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to draft you got to draft like it's any other year because if you try to take any other factors that you can't that you can't account for right now if you try to take those into account then yeah you would you're probably going to end up overthinking it overthinking yeah. things you just you know if it happens it's it sucks it happens but uh you just got you got to draft normally that's what i did yep and i wonder maybe to lean on veterans rather than rookies Definitely. You want to, yeah, you don't, you know, always I'm, you know, even in any other year, I, I would never lean on a rookie. The only time I ever leaned on a rookie was I I had the, I had the privilege of drafting Saquon Barkley. I, I had the second pick I got him his rookie year and he was amazing. He was definitely worth the second pick, but there's not too many rookies that, that you can just rely on. Yep. No, usually. I hear you. Yeah, the like I said, the only rookie I have on my team right now is C.D. Lamb, and that's because he's one of the most he's one of the most prolific talents. And even then, he's my fourth wide receiver, so I'm not relying on him too much. Yep. You know? 
So, you know, Mike, can we get your NASCAR update for the week? Of course. We are in Daytona once again. Second time in three weeks we are at the track at Daytona. But it is on the oval. And this time around, it's the last race before NASCAR's playoffs. Tonight, we have the Wawa 250 for the Xfinity Series. And expect a surprise winner. Because it's Daytona and anything can happen. Usually it does. I'm going to take a look at the lineup, hopefully. I can pull it up. Okay. Oh, come on. So how is this track, Mike, normally? It is wild, and there's always the chance for the big wreck. It takes out at least 20 cars and shakes up the lineup like you wouldn't believe. So let's pull up the lineup for the Wawa 250. And my pick for this one, like I said, it's going to be a surprise winner, and it will be Anthony Alfredo from Richard Childress Racing in the number 21. Okay, and, why is, and a, why is that your pick? Like I said, surprise winner. He hasn't fared too well this season. Average finish of around 13. He's also a proponent of the iRacing simulator. And I think that his hours of playing on iRacing, of working on iRacing, should come in handy here at Daytona. Okay, gotcha. Uh, now, for the Cup Series, we've okay. got the Cup Zero Sugar 400. Last race before the playoffs begin. And I'm expecting another surprise winner. This time I'm going with Christopher Bell in number 95, Vine Family Racing Toyota. Vine Family Racing is closing up the shop after this season. And Christopher Bell going to the number 20 for Joe Gibbs Racing in 2021. I'd like to see Bell get a win, get into the chase, and get himself some momentum as he ventures on to Joe Gibbs Racing in 2021. That would be cool. All right, so we will look out for that. Uh, just to give everybody a pro wrestling update here, our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the Road Dog, uh, Brian Armstrong, on uh, the passing of his dad, Bullet Bob Armstrong. People may remember him as a wrestler from the 70s uh, and early 80s. Uh, very good wrestler, so... Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the family, uh, to the Armstrong family of the passing of Bullet Barb Armstrong. Uh, a lot of people have been asking about Austin Theory. Uh, he was most recently associated with Seth Rollins on Monday Night Raw. He has been reassigned now to the NXT roster, so he will be wrestling in NXT and he's no longer affiliated with Monday Night Raw. So who knows what this means going forward for Seth Rollins' group. Will Seth Rollins go out and get somebody else as a member of his crew? We will have to wait and see on that. Uh, we've got WWE Payback this coming Sunday. Stay tuned for my thoughts on that coming up. We will go down uh, that card as well, um, 
some interesting things happening with uh, AEW. Uh, you know, we've got a good title match coming up uh, for the uh, AEW World Heavyweight title. So that's going to be really good. The Dark Order now has a title as well. So a lot of things good going on with AEW and the Dark Order. I like how they're using some of these WWE cast-offs. They're giving them major rules, and they are running with it in AEW. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you want to add anything to the wrestling update or not. Um, no, nothing to really come to mind, really. Hasn't really haven't really watched it this week, Jay, so I got no input oh, Okay, <laughs> Okay, that's no problem at all. I just wanted to give my thoughts, my impressions. Stay tuned for that uh, coming up probably tomorrow or Sunday. We will have uh, the payback picks uh, coming out. Uh, stay tuned for stay tuned at sportskillerradio.com. We have great articles up from Mike and Joe. You can go there. You can download the app. Get all your sports news there. We have our Twitter feed up and running as well. Uh, great stuff going on over there. We are now uh, on Anchor.fm. So if there's something you'd like to say, if there's something you'd like to vent, if there's a segment you'd like to see. Uh, somebody you like to argue with, an opinion that you disagree with or you like, you can go to our site on anchor.fm. Just search for Sports Skillet. Brings it right up. Uh, you may even make the show. We may even play a recording on air. Who knows? But go in there, record, leave us your thoughts on the show. Uh, we want to hear from you. And also, as well, uh, we have... We are now on uh, uh, Spotify. Uh, Spotify as well. So you can go to Spotify and do a search for Sports Skillet. We pop up there. We're going to be adding new content to our Spotify site as well. This, uh, this uh, recording should be up shortly. So, uh, so you got Anchor.fm. You got Spotify, Sports Skillet. And please like, follow, share, and subscribe. Spread the word about Sports Skillet. Uh, get the word out. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, guys, anything you want to say? Final words? Anything we may have missed? Uh, no, nothing comes to mind. Okay. I'm All good. right. Then we will see everybody here again on YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Hope you and your family are happy, healthy, and safe. And we will see you right back here again next week week they add flavor you won't find anywhere else join sports skillets jay jeff and kelly every sunday 11 a.m on 9 20 a.m the jersey local sports national sports with a flavor you'll love get ready to taste some sports skillet